Welcome to Beyond the Reiki Gateway with Reiki Masters Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you through donations. Links to help support our all-volunteer effort are in the show notes and also on our website, beyondthereikigateway.com. And now it is time to begin our journey together, Beyond the Reiki Gateway. Welcome to this latest episode of Beyond the Reiki Gateway. Kathleen Johnson and I, Andrea Kennedy, are pleased to welcome Kaylin Castell. She is the co-founder of Venus Alchemy, My Star Alchemy, and the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School. In addition to publishing monthly celestial timings for the last 25 years, she enjoys providing personal readings and teaching both online and in person. You can find out more about Kaylin on her website and on her YouTube channel, where she's got lots of videos there for you. Those links will be found in the show notes, and we'll go ahead and list them for you also as we wrap up today's episode. As you might have guessed, we're going to talk all things astrology with Kaylin today, and we're really super excited to have her. And Kaylin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much. I know that right now is a pretty important time in astrology. I guess we'd like to start there because people might be experiencing some effects from this current period. And what I'm referring to is the retrograde that we're currently in. And for our listeners who might not understand what that is, could you give a little background, a little description about What does it mean to be in a retrograde? And just give us some details about that. Absolutely love to talk about retrogrades. One of my favorite subjects, actually, (laughs) because there's a lot of misunderstanding about them. A lot of times people think, oh, bad retrograde, not a good time. Actually, it's a powerful time, but it's different than what we normally experience. So what happens in a retrograde is the planet never actually moves backward ever. But from the Earth's perspective, if we're looking out in space and we're watching and tracking that planet, it looks like it's moving back across the stars it just crossed. So it's like stepping backward, right, to maybe get a deeper look, to go more fully into something that maybe they missed, you know, maybe that planet missed. And it's like, ooh, let me just go back and look at that. I think of it like sometimes I've been hiking and I walk past something and I'm like, oh, and I walk back and I look at it. I'm like, ooh, I just did a retrograde. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a it's a really potent time. And it depends on what planet is retrograde, of course. So currently, at the time of this recording, we have two planets retrograde. One is Venus and the other is Mercury. And these two planets When they're retrograde, they're closest to the earth, they're brightest, they're in their most spectacular expression that can possibly happen. And they shift from evening star to morning star. And we can see that they conjunct the sun for a brief time. So they disappear out of the evening sky and reappear in the morning sky. Venus has just reappeared in the morning sky. And she stations direct on January 29. But what's really remarkable about the Venus retrograde is that she made two conjunctions to the planet Pluto, one before she went retrograde, one while she was retrograde, and then the final one will be March 3rd after she goes direct. And this is so fascinating because it's been since 1770, the last time Venus 
went retrograde past Pluto three times in the sign of Capricorn. (laughs) And it'll be 2264, 65 before it happens again. So it happens every 240 some years. Uh, So this is a rare event. And Pluto is all about dying to who we think we are so we can be reborn to who we really are, to let go of the false self or the conditioning of the culture, whatever's happened to us in the past. And Venus does a similar thing in her cycle. She has a 19-month cycle. So Pluto and Venus coming together at this time is so amazing for us to be able to really release and let go of whatever's been going on for us. The other thing that's happening with that, and I'll get back to Mercury retrograde in a moment, but the other thing that's happening with this is that when Venus and Pluto come back together on March 3rd, it's within minutes of being exact to the USA natal Pluto. So it's a Pluto return for the United States. And essentially, that means the United States hopefully has an opportunity to die to all the false things that we've been experiencing around you know, whatever the founding fathers had created and stated in the Declaration of Independence and the preamble to the Constitution has not been lived up to. (laughs) So Pluto's shining a light on all of that right now. And we have an opportunity to let it go, to create something new that is in alignment with that original intent. And Venus is there to help. And so is Mercury, because Mercury has already passed Pluto once. It's going to pass Pluto again, right before it stations direct on February 3rd, and then it passes Pluto again, not remembering the exact date, but it's somewhere around the 11th. And so it's also energizing, and Mercury the messenger is bringing us messages about what is it that we need to let go of, what are we surrendering to, and also um, dying to so that we can be more of who we are truly meant to be. So this is a very exciting time. The other thing I want to say about retrograde real quickly is that I like to say it's like pulling an arrow back on a bow. When you pull the arrow back, it's actually moving away from the target. So that's what the planet looks like it's doing. It's going back across the part of the sky that it just crossed and getting deeper information, more power, more wisdom, more whatever, so that when it stations direct and can start moving forward again, it does so in a way that is ideally, if we worked with it consciously and paid attention to what was going on, we go forward in a more powerful way, direct to the target, whatever we're aiming that arrow at. That's my ways of looking at it. And a lot of times people, like if you are born with a retrograde planet on your natal chart, they say it's debilitated or it's not as strong or whatever. But ultimately what we see in the sky is that the planet is brightest and closest to the earth and most powerful. So it's a new way of looking at the retrograde. That's so much information, Kaylin. And I'm so happy, I think is the word that I want to use because you do paint such a, I think, hopeful and positive picture of a retrograde, which, you know, quite frankly, don't have a whole lot of background in astrology, but I often see a more negative sort of reaction to retrograde. So I do appreciate hearing your take on that. I think it is hopeful. Kathleen, what are your thoughts? Well, hello. I guess this is my first time chiming in. And for the listeners, I'm experiencing some technical issues here on my end. We're in the midst of the big storm that hit us last night. So 
little difficulties on the technical end, but I'm here and I'm listening. And Andrea, I agree with you. Yeah, very positive, hopeful message. And as you said, when we talk about retrograde, regardless of what planet, it's usually doom and gloom. Oh, you got to be aware of this. Oh, don't do that. It's all the negatives, all the things we need to avoid. So it's nice to hear a very different and hopeful perspective on that. Thank you for that. You're so welcome. My pleasure. And I just also want to add that the the opportunity with a retrograde doesn't necessarily always come without some challenges. <laughs> so there can be challenges, but the intent is never of that. Course. It's like what happens to us is pillar the blocks or whatever's in the way of the intent. Yes, exactly. Okay, good. I mean, it doesn't have to be challenging, but often can be. And that's probably why it's gotten that reputation of being challenging. A little dramatic sometimes, I think. Right. <laughs> I've had some dramatic experiences in especially Mercury retrograde with technology. And hey, we're in Mercury retrograde right now. So we have some technical issues. It's not surprising. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> right. So that's true. The other thing that stuck out to me too was this whole United States focus that you put on that. And I guess in astrology, that happens, right? Countries can have charts and yes. that sort of thing. Is that true? Yes. We have the U.S. chart is set for July 4th, 1776. Different people use different times, but Pluto doesn't move that fast. So it doesn't even matter what time you use on the chart. It's still going to be at the same sign and degree. And Pluto comes back to a starting place about every 248 years. So we're coming close to that. And this year, Pluto passes the U.S. Pluto three times. And first one is in March. It's pretty remarkable that we have this opportunity at this time, because really what Pluto does is shines a light on the shadow so it can be mm. transmuted and transformed. It's all about alchemy. And we can't change it unless we're aware of it. <laughs> so that surrender and allowing for whatever needs to come through it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's really challenging. And, and sometimes we have to grieve the losses of the things we were really attached to and Pluto's in the house. But that helps us move into a new space that's more empowered. And that is the intent of any Pluto cycle is to create more empowerment. Thank you. So having Pluto pass through three times is obviously significant. What makes that significant just because of the way everything is aligned celestially? Can you please explain in terms of celestial activity. <laughs> yes. So when the U.S. became a country, Pluto was at a certain sign and degree, 27 Capricorn in like 33 minutes, I think. I, I might have the minutes wrong, but it's close to that. When Pluto comes back to that point and it takes 240 some years for it to get there, it will usually retrograde back over the point and then go back over it again. Sometimes it hangs out at that point even longer uh, depending on what the retrograde degrees are. But we definitely have this happening in 2022. We have Pluto going over the U.S. Pluto three times. And most mm -hmm. of it, it started last year and most of this year. So the intent is to expose the shadow. What is it that's underlying? What are the lies that we've told ourselves? What are the... Um, Maybe not on purpose. It doesn't matter. It's like just wherever we may be off 
on our perceptions of things, or even what are the lies that have been told to us that we've believed. Um, and, uh, you know, so whatever that shadow piece is, that comes to light. And we can see that. And it's like some people are really trying to bring the shadow to light. And we can see that there's a lot of challenges across the planet, actually. The whole planet is in a Pluto cycle, but the U.S. particularly is on the leading edge of all of this this year. And so we may see more things coming to light. So when do the three events occur for the U.S.? You said the first one is in March. And when do the other two occur? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. July and December, I believe. And I don't know if I have the exact dates in front of me. But anyway, I did a video that has the exact dates in it. And it also talks about how to work with it and how this is an opportunity for us to become more empowered. And ultimately, you could say it's like the death of the old earth. So we can get to the new earth that everybody has been wanting to bring forth. And so we need to die to whatever has been part of the old earth inside of us, each of us. And then hopefully we create the space to be reborn into the new earth that we want. For me, I imagine it as being uh, anchored in love and joy and bliss and magic and miracles and courage and kindness and compassion are a few of the things that I want to see as the main basis of the new earth energy. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Exactly. Absolutely agree. We'll put a link too in the show notes to that particular video as well, Kaylin. So if people want to dive a little deeper into that, they'll be able to easily do that with you there on YouTube. We'll have some more retrograde periods through the year. I think I feel a little bit better, but as you talk about the US path and what's occurring now, I'm thinking, wow. Haven't we been doing that? So I'm about ready to really strap in because it sounds like we're going to have some events happening for sure. I'm wondering, too, from your perspective, what stands out for the rest of 2022 in addition to the retrogrades for this year? There's just so much always going on, but there's some things that are somewhat not normal or usual, right? So because all the planets go retrograde every year, except for Venus and Mars. Mars is going retrograde this year. It only goes retrograde every two years. Okay. So we have that going on. Venus only goes retrograde about every 19 months. And that started last year in December and is going to end on January 29th. So we have an unusual Venus retrograde that I already shared a little bit about what's going on with that. And it's starting a new cycle of Venus that for 19 months is going to focus on the Capricorn mysteries. And from the shamanic astrology perspective, we see that as the circle of grandmothers. We see that as the crones, the wise ones. We see that as the wisdom keepers. So another thing to, to think about is that the, when the United States was creating their constitution, they actually went to the Iroquois Confederacy and asked them if they could model the U.S. Constitution after their constitution because it worked so well. And it was a constitution for seven Indian nations. And they said, yes, please use our constitution. And don't forget the circle of grandmothers that any important decisions need to be approved by them. And if you don't, you'll probably wind up in trouble. (laughs) 
And so guess what they didn't do? They didn't include the circle of grandmothers. The feminine couldn't even hold office for like a long time. And women didn't even get the right to vote until 1920 or something. So, you know, that was not honored and valued. And that is one of the challenges. Now we see our countries in a mess. And they knew that the wisdom of the grandmothers would help guide them in difficult times, in challenging times, when they had to make decisions that would affect the larger collective, so to speak. So that is the grandmother wisdom that we're missing. And I feel like having Venus do her 19-month cycle as the larger cycle of Capricorn over the 19 months, of course, Venus will go into different signs over the whole time, but the larger energy what's on the collective psyche of humanity or on the world stage, we could say, is the feminine as the wisdom keeper, as the crone, as the wise one for this whole entire time. So really remarkably spectacular. And also she's been meeting with Pluto. So it's like, okay, we just take out whatever needs to go. Right. (laughs) So that's a piece that a lot of people don't even recognize. They don't even understand how that cycle works. Of course, this Mercury cycle is also adding to all of that, everything I just said. Another thing that happens on February 3rd, Mercury goes direct and starts a time that lasts until May of all the planets in direct motion. All the planets are moving forward. No one planet is retrograde. And this is interesting because when the planets are all moving forward, there's nothing holding us back, slowing us down, Mm -hmm. getting us to go deeper, creating that opportunity to have more reflection. It can actually be challenging (laughs) because there's so much forward movement and it's happening for almost all of February, March, April. And then I think it's in early May or late April that... Uh, I think it's Pluto that goes retrograde first. Then it starts to shift out of that. But interestingly, I actually wrote an article on this some years ago, and that is that every president who was inaugurated with all the planets direct never served another term. And I, I was curious about that because when Donald Trump was inaugurated, it was when all the planets were direct. And he didn't serve another term. I thought he might be impeached and that wasn't when he served another term. I don't know. There's so many crazy things going on around that. But also Joe Biden was inaugurated with all the planets direct. And it's probably unlikely that he'll serve another term. That pattern has been in place since the beginning of our country. Wow. Sometimes it was because it was their second term and then they just wouldn't have had an opportunity to run again. But sometimes it's because they died in office or they just didn't get reelected or that kind of thing. So all planets moving forward is a powerful energy that I think has been underestimated and people haven't really understood uh, what it is. And I think we're still trying to figure out what that actually means. Andrea, I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to you speak, Kaylin, I feel excited about what's coming along in 2022. Excited and hopeful. And I can actually feel a glimmer of the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. I didn't know any of this that you just shared as far as all the planets being direct. I don't have a great deal of knowledge about astrology, which is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today to not only educate Andrea and myself, (laughs) but also our listeners who I know have an interest to varying degrees, and we just thought it would be very helpful. But your words have gone in a direction I did not expect. 
but they also are having an effect on me that I really like. So thank you. Thank you for the positive <laughs> message and the injection of hope that you have put into at least my day. And I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you so much. And I want to inject some more hope. Okay, go for it. The North Node has been in Gemini for 20 months. And on January 18th, uh, the day after this recording, it's going into Taurus because the nodes move backwards. And the North Node represents destiny, where we're moving toward. And interestingly, because the North Node has been and will continue to be with the stars of the Pleiades, and of course, many, many people will say they're from the Pleiades. Many native cultures say they're from the Pleiades. It's a very important asterism in the sky. Most people are connected to, can find in the sky. And that's where the North Node is aligned right now and will be continued to be into February. Then what will happen, the nodes are going to move backwards into a, an alignment of about 10 degrees with Uranus, and they'll make an exact conjunction in July. The North Node and Uranus will make an exact conjunction. Now, why this is so exciting <laughs> is because Uranus is a revolutionary energy. It's the change maker. It's the change agent. It's the one that is going to disrupt the old ways to bring in something new. And how intense the disruption is depends on how stubborn and resistant we are. Some not unlike Pluto, right? So how challenging it is, is how much we're trying to hang on to the old, right? And what I see this as is Uranus conjunct the North Node within 10 degrees from uh, I think April of 2022 till March of 2023 with the exact conjunction happening in July of 2022, it's a reset of earth destiny. So if we think of North Node as destiny, we think of Uranus as the change agent. There's all these changes that are helping us to get more in line with a new earth energy, whatever that intent is. And we want that to be based in love. We want that to be based in greater compassion and, and a place for everybody and not just, you know, the elite few in charge of everything, but, but that everybody has a voice. Everybody has the opportunity to uh, live in a way that maybe we can't even fully imagine right now, like with all needs met for everyone, for all the plants and animals and people, <laughs> all the seen and unseen. So I'm really excited about that. But again, it will create disruption. And something just to be aware of is, interestingly, Capricorn often represents the seed. In a seed, you know, it's like there's a shell around the seed, but it has all this potential, all this possibility. And then something comes along and disrupts the seed. It opens up and insights come out and start to grow and flourish. So if we are seeding love and joy and all of the things that we want to see in a new earth energy, then Uranus is going to help that to come to pass, that it will have to disrupt the old in order for that to happen. But again, we want to be able to just go with the flow, not resist the changes that are in alignment with our intention. So we don't want to resist the changes that are happening because some things have to fall away. And it may be that uh, the main pillars of our culture that we have government, we have economics, we have education, we have planetary climate issues, we have all kinds of um, 
things that are really strong structures that have been put into place that are not necessarily helping us move into the new place. So those may have to be dismantled. And we kind of see that happening already in terms of what's been going on the last couple of years. It may create some big changes that can also cause some fear. And that's part of the journey as well. And it might not always be easy, but if we can stay aligned or stay attuned to the intent that is to get us to the new place, it's like an ascension process. And maybe when we're rising up into whatever the new thing is, it's a little scary, especially when we're leaving the ground and we're looking down. It's like, whoa. Right, right. Of course. Yes. <laughs> right. So it, it can be scary and it can be challenging, but it's also very uh, exciting and to be a part of all of that. and. Ultimately, I've heard this since I was involved in Transcendental Meditation back in the 70s. They talked about how we were at the dawning of an age of enlightenment and that the chaos would get greater before things would get more coherent. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening. It's more chaotic than ever. And then ultimately, at some point, everything lines up and a new coherence and a higher vibrational energy comes in and everything changes quickly. I have to ask, after hearing all of that discussion that you just offered, I had goosebumps at certain times, you know, depending on what you were saying. But I have to ask the question, do you have an inkling of when the things really start to come together? (laughs) Please tell us. (laughs) I wish I did. (laughs) Oh, darn. I had to ask. I think for individuals, it can come together quicker than perhaps in the collective. Because there's so much momentum. It's like you're trying to turn a big ship, right? There's so much momentum going in one direction and it's not so easy. But interestingly, and this is also from my transcendental meditation days, they talked about superconductors. And that was when you could create a field of super coherence and nothing lower, no lower vibrational energy, no chaotic energy could penetrate that field. So if we are becoming superconductors within ourselves, If we are coming from the high vibrational energy of love and there's enough of us, what happens when they're creating a superconductor uh, in science experiments is there's just a certain number and it doesn't even have to be 1%. It's like N squared. When they come into that coherent alignment, everything else falls into place. It's like like in a blink of an eye and they say in the blink of an eye. So if we have enough of us who are coming from that place of great love and compassion and and how we're taking responsibility for our own whatever. And we're vibrating with that higher vibrational energy, and we keep focusing on that. And, you know, I I have a practice where every day I claim I'm a superconductor of love because I want to remember to get up with that energy. I want to be in that superconductive state, and I want that to be my energy field. And I have moments where I fall out of it, and I have to come back to it. Because it's not easy living on the earth right now. (laughs) Agreed. But we make it a practice to keep coming back to that intention, to be that energy of love. We will change everything. And we don't even need 1% of the population for that to happen. So I'm hopeful. I just don't know how quickly it will happen. But that is part of, I think, what I'm on a mission for to explain. And a lot of the things that I'm doing is talking about this peace. So it is up to us. And so how quickly we can do that, if we do that within ourselves, and I will say, I'm in a phase of my life where I'm happier than I've ever been. 
I had a really rough go <laughs> in the early part of my life. And now I'm just like, I am so happy I'm here. And I'm so grateful that I get to have this experience, even though the world's kind of a mess. I'm having a good experience. Yes. So that doesn't, you know, just because the world is a mess doesn't mean we can't have a great experience in our own life. Such a great message. I so agree. <laughs> Kathleen? Yes, I was thinking about our own practices, Andrea, when Kaylin was speaking. I always refer to it as the tipping point. Kaylin, you said about when there's enough of us, that's when we see the big change. And I'm dating myself here, but I remember the superconductor of the transcendental meditation days. <laughs> so that was interesting. It was like a blast oh, from I the past. Yeah. And <laughs> But I also know that just in my own practice, and I think Andrea would echo this, that I see so many individuals who are waking up, who becoming, they are becoming aware, they are realizing there's so much more going on than, than we can perceive as humans. I am so heartened by that because on the days when I'm not feeling that high vibration, as you discussed, it really helps to pull me back up into that space. And I do everything I can on a daily basis to remain in that space because, well, that actually comes down to science, right? <laughs> Superconductor. I think it's just a matter of time, but I feel in a way that I really can't describe, but just that sense of knowing that we are getting closer and closer to that tipping point all the time. I can just feel it. The energy, I think, is telling me that. Is that something you've experienced, Aileen or Andrea? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I hang out with people that are vibrating in the same place I am. <laughs> and I don't very often have to hang out with people who aren't. So other people may be having a different experience. Uh, but as you were speaking, Kathleen, I love this. I was thinking about how Reiki love, the energy of Reiki is something, and that's something I've always infused into everything I do as well. That is another tool that we have to help support this transition to be able to maintain that higher vibrational energy more of the time and to all of the time, right? You know, it's a process. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a journey, but yeah, I agree. I come from more of a scientific background. I have a degree in physics, and I am not familiar with the superconductor transcendental meditation uh, commonality that you two share. But I read years ago a book called, I think it's Power Versus Force, and it had the hundredth monkey principle in there. It seems sort of the same concept of the tipping point and that kind of thing. And it's basically how when enough individuals reach a point, the collective consciousness shifts. And um, interesting theory, 100th monkey principle. And I guess I'll just go ahead and explain it rather quickly if I can remember it accurately. And please chime in if you have anything to add. But they were observing a group of monkeys and there was a series of islands and the monkeys in one population started to discover when they were short of food, a new food source on the beach and they had to root it out, I believe in the sand. It was a complex series of steps that they went through to attain the food. 
And when enough of them were demonstrating this knowledge of gaining food in this way, monkeys on other islands that had no physical contact with the original colony of monkeys automatically began attaining food in the same way. That struck me and really highlighted the power of the individual, their energy, and that we're really part of one. That has just so stuck with me. I guess that's what you would refer to as the tipping point. The other thing, too, I wanted to add was I think that's a theme of our whole episode today is hope because I think people are so often focused on changing the world outside of themselves and they do overlook the deep and powerful opportunity that they have just within themselves. It might be harder to go within and to do that work and to sit with the self, but for true change to happen outwardly in the outer world, the door, the gateway to that outer change is within each one of us. It just makes so much sense to me what you're saying. And I'm so glad that you shared in that direction, Kaylin. My pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, you, I like what you're saying. It's the from the inside out. Because from the outside in isn't going to do it. It just isn't going to work. If we're trying to change our world around us, the best way to do it is to change our world within us. As above, so below. As without, so within. Something that I've heard numerous times in my life. And Andrea, what I was thinking when you were describing the story of the hundredth monkey is, I remember that story. I really do. I must have read about that probably decades ago. But I've also read about that phenomenon repeated across the globe many times where a certain group of individuals, indigenous peoples perhaps, will discover a new skill. And then ultimately, it will spread across the globe. And of course, there was no email, no technology back then, nothing. But eventually, the yes. collective consciousness was able to benefit from that because of this one group that became a superconductor. And I just find that yes. fascinating because it really ties together science, spirituality, metaphysics, Honestly, I think the intersection of all of those things is, to me, I could just read about that all day long. So I'm glad you shared the story of the 100th monkey. I had forgotten all about that. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, that's a great story. Really great story. Kaylin, I'm wondering if you might shed some light on something for me. You know, last year, I remember seeing a lot out on social media about gateways. There was the lion's gate or something like that. What's your take on those? And should we pay attention? Yeah, there's stargate portals. So there's certain stars. The Pleiades is considered a stargate portal. And Regulus, the heart of the lion, the star of the Regulus, it's a royal star. It's also considered a, a portal, along with the other four royal stars. So there's certain places in the sky. And of course, you know, the center of our galaxy is a black hole. And some would say you go from, if you go into a black hole on the other side, you come out a white hole. 
<laughs> right? So like a yin-yang kind of thing. Interestingly, two royal stars, Aldebaran at the galactic edge and Antares at the galactic center are two stars that represent the key or the gateway to the center of the galaxy or to beyond the edge of the galaxy. And that's been something that's been known for a lot of indigenous cultures and, and people had that idea about those stars in the sky. And that's one of the reasons they were so important to them. So the eight, eight lion's gate, I like to call it the eight, eight infinity time gate, because what happened is that people are, are thinking that the sun, because it's in the sign of Leo is in the constellation of Leo. It's not actually yet in the constellation of Leo. This is a big piece that a lot of people do not understand in the astrological world is that the signs are seasonal. They are based on equinoxes and solstices and cross-quarter points. So at the cross-quarter in August, the sun is at about 15 Leo, and that happens usually on August 7th. And it is not in the constellation of Leo. It's in the constellation of the crab. And the reason I'm saying of uh, the lion, I mean, not, the re- not to say the sign names for the constellation names because it confuses people. Interestingly, Regulus at the heart of the lion and the lion constellation was considered to be the inspiration behind the Sphinx and that Regulus is the hall of records. And we can tune into that star to tap into the hall of records and that the Sphinx has a hall of records and, you know, above and below as above, so below, but as below, so above as within, so without, as without, so within, it's all reflecting each other all the time. The lion's gate is based on the fact that the sun is in the sign of Leo, considered to be the lion. Now, over 26,000 years, every seasonal sign will be with every constellation. And Regulus moved into the seasonal sign of Virgo in 2011. Big deal, because it takes 2,160 years for it to move through a whole constellation and then 26,000 years for it to come back to a starting place. We call that the great galactic year. And we're currently at a time, which is another reason why this is such a fascinating time to be living in when the December solstice sun rises on the galactic cross, where the plane of our solar system intersects the plane of our galaxy near galactic center at the December solstice, representing a 26,000 year turning of an age or of the wheel of time, however you want to look at that. So that could be considered a portal or a gateway that happens every December solstice from, if we look at it moving one degree every 72 years, from 1926 to 2070. If we look at the one degree window, it's from 1962 to 2034. Either way, we're really powerfully in this massive change and ideally up-leveling of consciousness, not only of human consciousness, but planetary consciousness, because it's based on how we see these cycles from the earth. And this 26,000 year cycle has to do with how the earth is positioned in space. And so that's how we know that we're in this turning of a 26,000 year cycle. And that makes this whole time from 1962 to 2034 is the most concentrated part of it really powerful then everything else is just within the context of that bigger cycle. And we get to be here to be witnessed. (laughs) So I remember hearing back in my transcendental meditation days, back in the 1970s, Charlie Lutz, who 
like to talk on more of the esoteric parts of it because transcendental meditation tried to do everything from a scientific background. But he would say things like, we're an amazing time where there are many, many gods and goddesses or souls on the other side who want to be here now. You are lucky you have a human body. You are so lucky you have a human body. If you don't value it, you have sold diamonds for spinach. I don't know if I would uh, necessarily use that metaphor, but that was the one he used. (laughs) But it really impacted me. And I, I was maybe 19 at the time when I heard him talk about that. And I was like, oh, I'm lucky to be here to be witness, to be a part of, to be helping with this transition into this new time. And then when I got involved in shamanic astrology, I understood it at an even more cosmic level of what's going on. So we are fortunate to be here. We're the transition team. Essentially, that's what we are. We're helping to transition from one great year, the galactic year, as Plato called it, the great year, to a new great year. And we've been in the process of this already for quite a while, and it will continue on. You know what's so interesting to me, Kaylin, to listen to you? I have a memory. I was a young child, probably about seven, and I was in my bedroom and I was standing next to my closet, and all of a sudden I had this knowing this very clear knowing that this was such a special and wonderful time to be alive and that I would witness such great transformation in this lifetime. And I was just this little kid. I didn't know what that meant at all. And I didn't remember it for many years. And then probably around 2015, that memory resurfaced for me. And I thought, oh my goodness, here we go. This is what that was all about. And for you to be sitting here with us now talking about this and saying those words, it just underscores that message, at least for me. And I know that there are so many other people out there that also agree. We're not here by accident right now. The people here are here for a reason. So Gosh, that's really incredible. And as you're saying, I love that story, Andrea. Wow. You were getting a message from your higher self or the part of you that knows that reminded you of the reason that you came, (laughs) which is good. Because sometimes I think growing up and especially in the culture that we had, maybe wasn't always easy. And so getting that kind of a message is awesome. The other thing I realized is I didn't complete the thing about the lion's gate. And that is that it's based on the numerology, 8-8, eight, eight, and then they think the sun is in the seasonal sign of Leo, but it's not in the lion yet. So I think of it as an infinity time gate, and of course, the number magic, you can work with it, absolutely. The seasonal sign of Leo is all about how do we come from a place of great self-love, not narcissistic self-love, <laughs> but from a place of realizing that we are divine beings and that our gift to this reality is that we're here. We've shown up. We're present. We're coming from love. Ideally, we're coming from love and we can, and we can heal the wounds that have kept us from doing that. And so when Leo is healthy, it's about, I am great love here on the planet and I love myself. I know I'm divine and I just spread that love and uplift everybody else into that love because that's where I'm vibrating from. We could say the shadow of Leo is I'm great. You're not. (laughs) I'm the king or I'm the dictator. or I am the important, powerful one and you're not, and you need to serve me. And that is a shadow side of it. 
because it's not about that. And I want to share quickly what I remember of this quote from Marianne Williamson in her book, A Return to Love. And she said, our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that frightens us most. We are all children of God. We are all meant to shine as children do. And our playing small does not serve anyone. But when we can allow our light to shine, it uplifts everyone and gives them the permission to do the same. And I feel like that's the essence of Leo and perhaps what can be worked with when people get excited about the 8-8 Lions Gate <laughs> or Infinity Time Gate that I like to call it the Infinity Time Gate. So, yeah. I remember that quote, and that is something that I remind myself about from time to time. And I think her words are so, so true. On behalf of Kathleen, who's having technical difficulties, I wanted to pose her question to you, Kaylin. And what her question is, is there a significance to the Lion's Gate for people born in the sign of Leo? That's a great question. I think there's significance to anything we want to make significance of. Oh, Interestingly, because I watch people who do different types of astrology and it works really, really well for them, but they have a different perspective than maybe I might have or other people might have. For example, there's something called Vedic astrology and they look at the constellations, not the signs. And then tropical astrology looks at the signs, not the constellations. So the sidereal or Vedic astrologers will tell you that the tropical astrologers don't know what they're talking about <laughs> because clearly the, the, the planet is in this constellation, not in the sign that we say it's in, but that's because of the movement of the signs through the constellations over 26,000 years. And it's a slow movement. So it takes a while. What I love about shamanic astrology is it's looking at the seasonal signs to get information, but also recognizing that these are growing and evolving. These archetypal energies are growing and evolving partly through us and partly because they're moving through these constellations. So if you have the seasonal sign in Leo, it doesn't mean it's in the constellation of Leo. It might be in the crab, the constellation of the crab, also known as cancer, but you know, <laughs> that's way too confusing. So energy flows where our attention goes. So if we're focusing our attention on it, it will have significance and meaning for us. We're co-creating our reality all the time. So we are co-creating with this. And so if we're putting our attention on something, we are co-creating with that energy. I totally agree with you. Our intention and the energy that flows to meet that intention is so powerful. And it makes me think of that quote from Return to Love because when people begin to recognize the power that they have, even in their words that they choose, the energy of the words, wow, we could have so much transformation just based on how we speak to each other and having awareness of our words, let alone our actions. I mean, that's just an exponential growth at that point. Right. And and also, I mean, I I know there are lots of people who will say what we're focusing our attention on is then the energy we're vibrating with. So if we're angry, we're focusing on anger, we're vibrating with anger. Now, sometimes we need to do that just to get it out of our system, right? Just with the intent. Ideally, we have the intent like, okay, I'm venting. I'm going to get this energy out of me. I'm going to move it and then come back to love or come back to, the, to a higher vibrational place that is more who I am. 
a lot of people don't even realize it. And then they're angry and then they get triggered and they're angry again. And they're just continually being angry and everything that happens for them, it comes because it's being triggered by their anger. Yeah. Until we are willing to take responsibility and allow ourselves to feel what we need to feel. And I will add into this grief because there's a lot of unfelt grief in our world that there's just been no space to feel. And we don't even really know how to, but I know there are indigenous cultures that do, and they do grief ceremonies and that allows it to move out of the body. So it's no longer keeping people stuck and, and that being what's running the show and why they're making their decisions. And they're not even conscious of it, like anger and grief. First, sometimes we have to release the anger so we can get to the grief. <laughs> yeah. And to give ourselves permission to feel that. And I'll just quickly say, Back in 2010, I got to do a grief ceremony with a woman named Sabanfu Somme, who wrote several books. She's from the Dagara tribe in Africa, and they had a grief ceremony that they did as a culture monthly, so that any grief that had been gathered up during that time. And when I did this grief ceremony, I found I had a kundalini rush of energy when I allowed myself to wail and keen in that group even though I didn't want to, (laughs) I was like a little embarrassed, but it was so powerful. I was like, that's why we grieve. We need to grieve in order to let the energy, because otherwise it's just stuck in our body. So we can Mm -hmm. release that life force, that Kundalini energy. And that's a really important piece of what it is that I think we're here to do now at this time too, is give ourselves permission to move those feelings so that we're not stuck in them. I don't know about you, Kathleen, but I am just so struck and impressed with Kaylin. And you know so much, Kaylin. I have to say, you're like a walking encyclopedia <laughs> of this of, of this entire subject. Well, I was quite interested in everything she has to say, but especially toward the end here about energy and the whole thing about how our intention is so powerful and holding on to stuck and stagnant energy. I have these conversations with clients almost every day of the week uh, because I do Reiki sessions and almost everyone I encounter, well, I think we all have stuck energy. There's no question about it. We're all carrying stuff around that no longer serves us, but Over the years since doing this kind of work, I have come to believe that almost all of our problems are related to stagnant, stuck energy. And I always say you have to feel your feelings. That's the way it is. You have to feel them. And they'll say, oh, but it's so painful. I said, yes, it's painful. We're going to experience pain, but we don't have to suffer. I think Buddha might have said that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And I always remember that because it's so true. We are going to experience pain. It's life on earth. It's painful. But we don't have to suffer. We do the suffering ourselves. And releasing that stuck and stagnant energy relieves the suffering. It creates the pain. The pain hurts. Of course it does. But then it eases the suffering. And that then allows us to continue to move forward and upward in our vibration. So I'm really glad you touched on that. I didn't expect that today in this conversation. But honestly, there was a lot of unexpected in today's conversation. 
for which I'm really grateful. I think these conversations go in the way that they need to. So thank you, Caitlin. You've been wonderful. And I do appreciate you sharing your time, your expertise, and your clearly extensive knowledge about this. I could sit here and ask you questions all day. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we could. Kaylin, if people are like myself and Kathleen, who have now had our curiosities extra peaked by the discussion, could you just explain a little bit about your offerings? Do you offer readings or charts or please tell us how we might interact with you after the show? Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, I do readings for people. And I just want to say it's from the perspective of looking at your natal chart as the blueprint you came in with of intent. What are the mysteries you've come to investigate, to explore, to express, and to help evolve? Because nothing's stagnant, right? I mean, we might have stagnant feelings inside ourselves sometimes, (laughs) but something will come along and trigger them and hopefully help them to move. It's about the intent. And oftentimes we live in a culture that keeps us from feeling we have permission. Oftentimes what I find when I read for people is that it's like, oh my God, I've felt that way my whole life, but I kind of shut that down. And now it feels like you're giving me permission even more to do that. But The point being is that we're here to really bring forth the true essence of these energies and whatever our chart represents, it's a blueprint for saying what that is. And then, of course, there's certain timings that people go through at certain ages and also personal cycles that happen. Those tell us what time it is and really where the focus is for doing the deeper work for, you know, certain archetypes that are really trying to come online in a bigger way, that kind of thing. So timing is everything. You can then be more conscientious about how you're making your choices and uh, the processes that you're engaging in that sort of thing. I love doing readings for people. I also love doing online work. Venus Alchemy is taking people through the Venus cycle. We meet monthly. So it's a ceremonial journey that we take people on. It's really fun. We have a great community. When we first started doing it, we thought we'd do it once, but then everybody asked us to keep doing it. Uh, The other thing I've been doing is my star alchemy and it's looking at the magical energies of the stars and how to work with them and i don't mean signs i mean actual literal stars that i've already named like the pleiades and aldebaran and antares and regulus and that kind of thing and ancient alchemists worked with these star energies and when planets were close to these stars they made talismans elixirs potions and tensions they were working their star magic because the planets were there amplifying that magic at that time. So we've been working with that too. So lots of cool things to get involved with. (laughs) Lots going on. That sounds fascinating. And if you could just please tell everybody where to find all this information and to sign up, is that your website? Yeah. So kaylincastell.com or celestialtimings.com goes to the exact same website, venusalchemy.com. And you can find out the current information on the, the Venus cycle that's just starting. And then also mystaralchemy.com. I'm so happy that you joined us today and we got to know you a little bit more. So am I. I need to go process some of this information because, wow. (laughs) (laughs) We want to thank you so much, Kaylin, for being with us and thank everyone for listening. Yes, thank you. It's been so delightful. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it totally. Until next time. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. 
Have you ever wanted to share your message through a podcast, but you just aren't sure how to get started? Kathleen and I believe Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. You can even get your podcast easily listed on all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Check the show notes for a link, and when you use it, it lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you. You can even get a $20 Amazon gift card, while at the same time, you help support our show. When we first started, Kathleen and I didn't know anything about podcasting, and Buzzsprout helped us every step of the way. If you have a message you want to share, please take it from us and just get started. We look forward to tuning in to hear what you have to share. Your voice matters, and you can make a difference. Until we meet again, a final thank you for joining us, and we would certainly invite you to return for another episode as we journey along with you beyond the Reiki Gateway with Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy.